All right. Well, tonight we are going to be in the book of Judges. Uh, we'll be in Judges chapter 16. And Judges chapter 16 and verses 1 through 22. We're not going to close out the chapter just yet. We're going to have what, at least one more week uh, to uh, really close out Samson's story. It's, uh, he is, the most ink is spilled about him as one of the judges. Uh, and so I want to make sure that we do uh, Samson justice here. Uh, so we're, we're going to um, go through verse 22. I'll bring the text up on the screen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we'll kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Uh, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, uh, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means may we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you each 1,100 pieces of silver. And so Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. And so the secret of his strength was not known. And Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave seven locks of my head with the web uh, and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the, with the pin uh, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and, and uh, the loom and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that, she, that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. 
Then the lords of the Philistines came up with her and brought the money in her, their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out at other times, uh, as, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So as we near the end of Samson's life, we ask the question that we've asked before, which is, how are we to understand Samson the man? He is a walking paradox. On the one hand, he is the powerful deliverer of Israel doing mighty acts by the power of God's spirit. That's Samson. On the other hand, Samson is a man driven by his sensual appetites and personal vendettas. That is also Samson. I do think that Samson is a multifaceted and complex character. He's a fascinating person to study. It seems that different parts of his story bring out the different aspects, whether it's Samson the deliverer or Samson the sinner, or most pertinent for us tonight, Samson as a picture of Israel itself. So tonight we're going to explore uh, this by considering three things. First, Samson's situation, then Samson's folly, and lastly, Samson's fall. So first, in verses 1 through 6, we, uh, take, we consider Samson's situation. Samson seems to have, been, have completely imbibed the concept of the big man on campus uh, because he apparently has no qualms about just traveling some 40-odd miles uh, uh, to the southernmost city, uh, major city of, of the Philistines. And so I'm going to bring up a couple of maps here. So, so this is the general picture of Israel uh, at the time. Now, remember, the Philistines are taking up the, the left side of Judah and a little bit into Dan. And so I'll bring that up there, which is harder to see. But you see the Philistia on that left side and the kind of the blue lines there. We're going to zoom in here. And so, uh, so we got, so we're zooming here. So Timnah is where he's from. And then following the, uh, the major ancient highways there, you know, he's going, he's going to, the, to the left there, and then he goes down to Gaza, which is a 41-mile trip on foot, okay? In, deep into enemy territory. Samson does not care <laughs> where he's going, right? Where does the 800-pound, uh, you know, gorilla sit? Wherever he wants. And, and Samson is the gorilla. And so his reputation has gotten out, and the men set up an ambush to take him out first thing in the morning. Now we got to back up a little bit and ask ourselves, well, what was old Samson up to in Gaza? Well, he's up to something we don't like to talk about. Uh, he was hooking up with a prostitute. And uh, <clears throat> that's what verse 1 means, even though I read several who tried to kind of happy talk their way around it and be like, well, it didn't really mean that. Yes, that's what it means. Okay. Um, and and we, will, um, we will talk about uh, what happened that night in a moment about the, the gates and everything. But this bit, of, this bit of danger with the ambush of the men combined with Samson 
uh, go, you know, chasing after a woman foreshadows the actual situation that will bring him down uh, with Delilah. Now, Delilah, uh, Delilah's name actually uh, means uh, flirt. So it means a flirtatious one. Uh, she was apparently very good at it. Uh, she lived just north of Samson's hometown in the valley of, uh, in the valley of Sorek. And uh, I'll show you the, so the valley of Sorek. So you have Timnah, and then right above there is the, the valley of uh, Sorek. And so she lived right, the, right up in there. Now, she's all, it's often assumed that she was a Philistine, but she could have been an Israelite. The text doesn't say. So we don't know what, what she was. Uh, we just know that she technically lived in Israel. We aren't told um, uh, what, whether she's a Philistine or an Israelite, but we are told that the lords of the five Philistine uh, major cities, uh, it's called the Pentopolis is what they call it, but these five, these five Philistine lords come and to see her, and they, they want to find out Samson's weakness. Now, it's almost impossible to actually translate um, uh, the, the value of the silver that they offered her. It's really difficult to actually translate the, the you know, to compare it, you know, adjust for inflation, you know, like to do all that. Uh, but uh, it, it's, the, the best guesses would put it in the ballpark of just basically, they offered her millions of dollars. <laughs> That's basically what they did, right? And I mean, how much money would you pay to get rid of this blight upon the Philistine nation? So, uh, so they would pay basically anything to get uh, Samson gone. And so she accepts the job, um, but there are two things to note here. First, um, Delilah is well aware of the intentions of the Philistines. They want to bind and humble him. That word humble in the Hebrew means to oppress, humiliate, or to afflict with suffering. One scholar translated it as torture. She knows what her job is and what's going to happen to him when she is successful. And she is prepared to do great evil to Samson. There's no ignorance on Delilah's part at any moment. Second, we are told that despite this being the third woman that Samson has gotten involved with, this is the first one that Samson loves. It's the first woman that Samson loves. And, that, and what he loves will be what, what brings him down. But we also, um, uh, and, so, and so this, and this is what we're talking about, his danger. Okay, but uh, but moving from his danger, we come to the the demonstration of Samson's power. Samson's power. Well, uh, back in going back to Gaza, where Samson was just a moment ago, uh, Samson was apparently aware of this uh, daylight daybreak uh, ambush that was waiting for him. Uh, So at midnight, Samson, with supernatural strength, of course, rips off the front doors of the gate of the city and runs off with them. Uh, taking, the, taking his uh, a- ambushers completely by surprise. Now, taking the gate was not only surprising, but it was a huge blow to the security of the city uh, because, I mean, it, it basically, you know, it's, it'd be like someone comes and steals the front door of your house, right? You're going to feel pretty vulnerable just having the front door just wide open for anybody to walk through. Well, that's how it was for the city. And so now their security is compromised. Now, now, I want you to get an idea. Now, it says he took the doors to, to Hebron. So we all know where that is, right? He took, he took the doors of the gate and he hiked them over to Hebron. Okay, I'll show you where that is. All right? Okay, it's about 38 miles uphill. <laughs> so, so now, even if he didn't take it into Hebron and stop just short of it... <laughs> 
it's still a long way. Now, it may have taken a couple of days, you know, several days to get there. Uh, if you really hoofed it without carrying, you know, Jesus was known to walk, you know, 15, 17 miles a day, um, you know, for, to make that journey. Uh, um, you could journey from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. It was about 17 miles. And so uh, you could do that in a day. It'd be, it'd be, but that's a pretty good clip, even in the ancient world. Uh, so this is, you know, several day journey that he goes to take us to really, I guess, really put a point on, uh, on it. And so he takes the doors of Gaza. It takes them deep into the tribe of Judah, <laughs> deep into Israelite territory. So really sticking it to the Philistines here. And so we have this, this, this episode is a nutshell of the problem of Samson for the Philistines. He's unstoppable and he knows it. Um, you know, when they sent a thousand men earlier to take care of Samson, he killed them all with a jawbone of a donkey, no less. Even, even if the ambush had taken him by surprise, do we really think that would have ended up any different? Samson is a man who no one can tame. In part, that's a good thing because he's wrecking havoc on the enemies of God's people who are actively oppressing them. Remember, the Philistines have been oppressing Israel for, what, 40 years at this point? For an entire generation. But the problem with Samson's power is that it leads him into arrogance. So we have Samson's danger and um, his power that's being demonstrated here. Um, but then this brings us to verses 7, 14, 7 through 14 and Samson's folly. And Samson's folly, uh, I've just described, uh, first of all, as simply playing with sin. Samson's folly was his penchant to play with sin. Delilah begins to try to figure out Samson's secret. The narrator records three times when Delilah is trying to suss out the secret of Samson's strength here. And and Samson, for his part, plays along. He gives her these kind of superstitious and silly answers. Fresh uh, bowstrings, then new ropes, and then, and then um, uh, weaving his hair into a, into a loom. And now, now, the loom is the most confusing thing for a modern reader. It's hard to get a visual picture of that. But there were two types of looms. I don't have any pictures of them. Uh, um, I did look for some. Couldn't find any good ones. Um, but uh, there were two types of looms. There's a vertical loom that would have, like, two posts in the ground. Um, and so some people have tried to imagine uh, um, Samson, you know, her, her weaving his hair into a vertical loom. Um, it's more likely that it's that there's also horizontal looms that you could like lay across her lap. And so it's more likely that she used one of those and, 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 and uh, did, the, did the weaving uh, in that way. Either way, it's still weird. So uh, but um, uh, it, now in, in that time, men would often braid their hair into segments. Uh, and they would have essentially like braids or sections of their hair like that. And so Samson had seven of them. And there was also a common superstitious belief about, uh, about people's hair in the ancient world that there was some kind of connection to the life essence of a person. There's some kind of weird uh, thing. And so, um, but S Samson, um, of course, uh, would prove that wrong. Now, the, now the Christian reader there here, though, I mean, you read this and you're getting mad at Samson. You're frustrated. You're like, dude, seriously, come on. All right, uh, and don't you see what she's doing? Isn't she suspicious in the least? Why would you go back to this girl again and again and again? You're like, well, Samson's like, well, you should see her, right? All right, I knew, I knew several guys who, who made very bad relationship choices simply because the girl was pretty, all right? <laughs> and 
Uh, and, and so apparently Samson was playing a game. Remember, Samson thinks he's unstoppable. And so in doing so, he let his guard down. The solutions he offered were magical solutions. Uh, and uh, they were kind of, it almost, it almost kept, the way he was going at it reminded me of like, kind of bad late night infomercials, you know, just kind of like, just kind of just, just pitching me like, well, you know, if you're having trouble, you should do this with my hair, do that with my hair, that'll solve the problem. And uh, of course it doesn't work. But uh, this is very similar to, to how a lot of even Christians regard sin and, and treat sin. The frustrating attitude towards sin that, that we and others have, uh, it, it's, um, when it's, especially when it's something that we love, something that we really enjoy. You know, just again, like, have you ever known someone to make irrational or damaging decisions, self-destructive decisions, because they are in love with someone? And it doesn't make sense. They know it doesn't make sense, but they don't care, <laughs> right? Or because uh, they're, they're so taken with something. They're addicted to something. Or simply because they enjoy it so much, and it's a free country, so get off my back already. Samson here is a picture of Israel, Israel that likes to play with sin, that likes to flirt with idolatry, to entertain it, to get pleasure from it without having to acknowledge the possible consequences. And this really highlights Samson's biggest character flaws, which, are, which uh, I would define as pride and presumption. Pride and presumption. Samson apparently is not worried about Delilah figuring out his secret because he apparently believes that whatever comes at him, he can handle. Uh, so this, this woman uh, he, he, uh, he loves, we note he doesn't marry her, he just um, visits her. Um, and, uh, and she probes Samson uh, and strings him along until the time comes when she will get exactly what she wants and Samson will fall. Samson's pride was thinking that he could go about sinning and playing around with temptation because no one was going to stop him. Samson's presumption was that God would allow him to continue on in this way for the whole of his life, I guess. I don't get, now, I don't get the sense that Samson's really a planner. You know what I mean? I don't think he's got a five-year plan, right? I think he's got a five-minute plan, right? He seems to kind of just live in the moment, following his passions, right? And so there's a, there's a story. There's, uh, I was looking this up. It's about 12 years ago, in 2011. There's a South African farmer who made made the news, and uh, he had brought up a hippo from the time it was five months old and raised it. Uh, and uh, you could view pictures of him riding on the hippo's back, and and, and they had this great relationship. He named him Humphrey. And he just said, people just don't understand the relationship that I have with, with Humphrey. He bragged that while people may have talked about having relationships with domesticated animals, um, uh, uh, he, uh, he had a relationship uh, with what was, is considered to be the most dangerous animal in Africa. Now, as remarkable as that was, that is not why this man made the news. Y'all will probably know why this man made the news already. Uh, <laughs> He made the news because Humphrey killed him. <laughs> so Humphrey uh, uh, bit him several times and drowned him in the river. Now, there's a bit of a dark humor to this story. It's tragic, but, it's all there, but there's a bit of dark humor. It's a tragic tale. But the man had been warned by everybody. 
that you cannot, tr- you cannot tame hippos. It doesn't matter how long you've had them. You cannot tame them. But he, wouldn't, but he didn't listen because he was special. And his relationship with his hippo was special. And you just don't understand. How often have those words been spoken? And so we are often tempted to do with sin. Right? We convince ourselves we're different. We can handle it. It's a different situation. I'm stronger. I'm different. I'm this, that, or the other thing. I won't let it go that far. We might give in a little too much, a little too often. We can rein it in and quit whenever I want. And so I'm not saying that every sinful habit that we have is going to end up with us getting eaten by a hippo in South Africa. I am saying that it is dangerous and spiritually unhealthy to do so, to play with temptation, and to presume that God would simply allow us to go along uh, just satisfying our, 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 our fleshly desires, uh, and that it could lead to devastating consequences in our lives. And we need to take warning here, because uh, we move now from Samson's folly to Samson's actual fall in verses 15 to 22. And as we look at verses 15 to 21 and at Samson's fall, it just kind of summarizes as the bill comes due. Uh, we, you know, and we see here why the author included the earlier episode about Samson's first wife and the silly riddle game that he played at, at, the, wedding, at the wedding feast. Uh, there, his, his wife pressed him to tell her his secret, and after a while, he gave in. Right and now, Delilah deploys the same tactic. She presses him hard until he's about to die from her nagging him, uh, being on him uh, to tell her what it is. He, she wears him out, and she manipulates Samson by saying, by, by doing the whole like, well, there's, there should be no secrets between people who love each other. Right, and so and so, you can't prove your love to me by telling me your secret. And on and on they go. And after, and finally, Samson gives in. And note, but note that he probably told himself he wouldn't do that. He probably had assured himself, "Well, I'll just play along and I'll say this thing and that thing, but I won't tell her really." But then he does. And so we see here that. When sin and temptation are not resisted, when they are received and played with, they can bring great harm to us. Many a person have asked the question after they're laying on the floor or out in the ditch saying, how did I get here? Yet there they are. And Samson tells Delilah a secret. Uh, there's no magical talisman. There's nothing, nothing about silly ropes or, or magical looms or anything like that. His strength comes from the Lord, which is symbolized by his hair. The fact that he has never cut it is the sign that he has been set apart for, by God for the work of the Lord. Now, there's two things to note here. First, that Samson was apparently well aware of the circumstances surrounding his birth and the calling upon his life, even though he freely violates at least two of the three major vows, right? So no dead stuff, right? You can't, no dead stuff, 
uh, no fermented anything, no wine, no alcohol, and don't cut your hair. And so he seemed to be uh, okay, okay with the not cutting the hair part. The other two, eh, hit or miss, right? It is unclear that Samson understands his strength actually comes truly only from the Lord and not directly from the fact that he doesn't cut his hair. That's a little vague in terms of Samson's understanding. If he is unclear about it, he's about to get a very severe education. And what follows in, this, in here is, is it's not satisfying, it's just awful and tragic. Delilah, also for her part, is just straight up evil. Can we all just say that? Can we all just acknowledge Delilah is an evil person? Uh, she, she knows that the Philistines are coming because she called them, right? And then she soothes Samson to sleep on her lap like a little baby. Little baby, she's going to hand over to the, the Philistines, knowing exactly what was going to be done to him. Indeed, it says that once, once his strength was gone, she was the first one to torment him and mock him. And one scholar said, words are inadequate to describe the utter heartlessness of this woman who lulled her lover to sleep with his head in her lap, conscious of the fate into which she was delivering him. Samson may have loved Delilah, but she hated him. Well, after Samson's hair was cut, the Philistines come out, and the Philistines do what Philistines do. They capture him, they gouge out his eyes, they drag him back to Gaza, from which we, remember, we recall he had taken their doors, right? And now as gruesome as it was, it was a common yet brutal custom in the ancient world to, uh, to gouge out the eyes of the enemy. Uh, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, had his eyes gouged out after uh, the king of Babylon slaughtered his sons before him so he could see that his line was ended, and then he had him eat at his table. Uh, One scholar pointed out that for Samson, his eyes had been the source of his problems, but no longer. Uh, And then they put him to the most menial task available, the task that was given primarily over to slaves, which was grinding at the mill by hand. Stone ground. Stone ground. Uh, and so verse 20 has got to be one of the saddest in the Bible. Because uh, Samson woke up and he thought it was business as usual. Uh, but notice that it doesn't say, but Samson didn't uh, know that his hair had been cut. It says Samson didn't know that the Lord had left him. What a sad line. Here again is the picture of Israel. Who thought they could play with their idols, who thought they could play with their idolatries and disregard God's word, and there would be no consequences. They would always have Yahweh. He was locked in until he left them and brought judgment. And while this it may seem to end on a darker note, we still see, even a, even a little hint in verse 22, that God's grace perseveres. Remember that when, that, that when one took a Nazarite vow, we talked about this earlier when we, when we introduced Samson, when one took a Nazarite vow, if, if you broke that vow, then you would have to shave your head and start over. The vow restarts once you shave your head. And, and well, the Lord is effectively starting over with Samson. He's not done with Samson. And the Lord, we should be encouraged, is not done with his people. 
Israel will, will continue in their foolishness in the book of Judges. Things are going to get worse. They're going to get darker. Um, eventually, uh, Samuel will arise as the last judge of Israel uh, who will come in and, and restore order. Then kings will follow Saul, David, and Solomon to unite the, the, the united monarchy. And then the people of God will fracture. They'll fall away into idolatry and eventually into exile. But the hair on Israel's head will start to grow again. And God will bring them back in his mercy to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and in the restoration. And so this verse is, it's, very, it's a sneaky verse, but it's massively important for us to remember. It's not that Samson has, it, the most important thing is not that Samson has learned his lesson, although it's, it's fair to assume that he has. It is that the sign of God on his head is one that cannot be removed. We are God's people who have the sign of the covenant placed in our bodies in baptism, and that cannot be removed. We take regularly the sign of God's mercy in the Lord's Supper, in the body and blood of Christ, which cannot be removed from us. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us and, and will never uh, leave us. Although we can uh, grieve the Spirit, as the Scripture clearly says, there are times, especially uh, when, when, when Christians will run off into willful sin, and God will remove the sense of his presence in our lives in order to draw us back. And we may, like Samson, face devastating consequences in our lives for sinful actions. But the sign of God's covenant love endures. Our hair begins to grow again. The sign of baptism and the washing away of sin is renewed. The danger, folly, and fall of Samson is a dark tale that has a silver lining. Let us be aware that we live in a world that is hostile to God and to the things of God. We live in a society that is obsessed with, with making us into our own little gods, living like little Samsons running around fulfilling our sensual desires. But if we think that we can play with sin and presume God will never allow us to have consequences, even temporary ones, then we are so sorely mistaken. And as I often like to quote J.I. Packer on this point, God will at times break our fingers to get us let, to let go of our idols and to latch on to Christ. But let us take comfort that even the scriptures say, that even at times when we are faithless, God is faithful. He is faithful to love us. He is faithful to discipline us. He is faithful to restore and receive us through faith and repentance and to bring us into better days and ultimately into a greater world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ, we have the, the, the true and greater Samson, who is not prone to sinfulness and, and, uh, and uh, sinful appetites, and, uh, and, and not, indeed not in thought, word, or um, action did he sin ever. And by his righteousness we are redeemed. By his righteousness we are declared righteous. And so, Lord, we pray that we would learn from the negative example of Samson, that we would learn not to play with sin, that we would learn not to, uh, to try to manage it, to try to, um, uh, to try to see how far we can get with it, 
uh, Lord, but that we would make war against it, that we would cast it off, Lord, even cut it off, as Jesus says. Father, we thank you that even when we fail to do this, that the blood of Christ covers our sin and renews us, that, that your sign cannot be removed from us, and that you will renew and, and that your grace will persevere. And so, Father, we pray that we would be convicted of sin tonight, that we would be encouraged to, to carry on in the race, and that you would be glorified in the, uh, in the sanctifying life of your people as you conform us to the image of your blessed Son. And, Lord, we pray that you continue that sanctifying work, even at times that painful work of cutting away the flesh and of renewing us daily. We pray this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.